0: Welcome back to Better Worlds, a podcast exploring geek culture across mediums. I am Trevor Stinson.
1: I'm Dustin Swarm. And I am Matthew
0: Baugh. Uh, We are going to talk about all the board games that we played over Christmas break. But first, we have a few items of follow-up. Would you like to start, Dustin?
1: Sure. Um, So in episode zero, I started off talking about my uh, dilemma of trying to choose a video game. I was, um, Matthew had given Trevor and I a gift card for the Microsoft store. And I was trying to decide between Lego Batman 3 Beyond, uh, Gotham and Lego Jurassic World. Um, and I finally made my choice. Drum roll. I chose Lego <laughs> Jurassic World. <laughs> Um, for two reasons one it was on sale <laughs> so i was able to get the whole game and the three dlcs for the price uh, to be covered by the gift card uh, the other reason was as i was looking at my tv i noticed that i actually had Lego batman 2 <laughs> um, for xbox 360 so i felt i felt peace about getting something that was not lego batman Um, and this is my first time ever playing a Lego game. Uh, I don't know what is going on really, but, um, I, I feel like I'm in love. This is, I I want to get more Lego (laughs) games because I, I was concerned about playing with my children because of the whole dinosaurs trying to eat people. Uh, but right in the very beginning, whenever the raptor is uh, in the movie in Jurassic uh, Park, the raptor in the cage grabs the person by their lower body and shakes them around. And In the, the Lego game, he's eating like a hot dog or something, and the raptor grabs the hot dog, and they're trying to wrestle the hot dog out, away from the dinosaur. And so it just looks like a cute, fun game. So and there's
2: a heroic pig throughout the entire story thread, which Oh yeah, there was a pig. What
1: what's the deal with the pig?
2: Um he's just in there as the soul of the game.
0: <laughs> Is he just in the Jurassic World part?
2: No, he's in all four he's throughout all four
1: movies. Yeah, I saw him jump out of the the opening scene,
0: so I made the same choice and got the the Lego Jurassic World game as well. And all the DLC, even though I have no idea what the DLC actually entails.
1: Yeah, I don't either. I think it's just extra vehicles. I looked at one of the DLC descriptions before buying it.
0: I read all of them and I still don't know. (laughs) It sounded (laughs) like it's just extra characters and vehicles.
2: Yeah. I did want to throw in that doing some supplemental research, because we had discussed this in episode zero, that it is not, in fact, online co-op available. It's only local co-op. Yeah, that was a disappointing
1: thing, but... I'm still happy with my purchase. I'm happy with your purchase. <laughs> yeah. So, um my next piece of follow up, I watched episode uh 4 of Star Wars. So Star Wars a New Hope. Um or I guess I should say Star Wars episode 4 A New Hope um with my children this weekend because that's what I do with my kids. And I had in episode one of our podcast talked about how, uh, Darth Vader's costume in rogue one looked off to me. Um, and I attributed it to his, uh, helmet and neck piece in rogue one. The neck piece of his helmet is over the top of his cape. Um, and that I felt like that was the issue. However, watching episode Four I was paying special attention to that, having discussed this on the the podcast, and I noticed that his costume in uh, a new hope changes between having the neck piece under the cloak or the the cape with a chain uh holding the cape closed and uh having the neck piece over the top of the cape, just like it is in Rogue one, so it's it must not be that because it didn't seem odd in episode four when it looked like that. Um, so I don't know exactly. I I did watch a bootleg on YouTube of the scene in Mustafar and he still looked kind of odd to me. I don't know what it is. I, I'm guessing it's just that there's a different actor under the costume. Like maybe they have a different body build. That would make sense, but yeah, so it's not it's not the uh, the helmet as I thought it was,
0: okay um, I got a bunch of notes from listener Curtis. Can we call our listeners and listener first name? Is that weird? That's good, okay, listener Curtis sent me a bunch of notes, <laughs> um, and we could literally do a whole episode, uh, but I picked out three questions to answer, and I'm gonna go through them real quick. Stormtroopers should still be clones, right. Uh, no, they aren't. The clones have accelerated aging that was designed to get them into action faster, and they are uh pretty elderly by the time uh Rogue One and a New Hope roll around. In the show Star Wars Rebels, which is a few years earlier, it shows um I think three of the clones who survived the war and they're like grizzled old men at that point they're not in active duty anymore question two who announces Krennic's arrival to vader while he's in the tank uh, and i've seen a lot of people discussing this online calling him vader's butler or asking if he's snoke um this is a guy whose name i don't know how to pronounce it's spelled v-a-n-e-e he is a new character he's in the novel, in the movie, but not really in anything else. There's another character with that same name in Return of the Jedi, but different guy, and also not Snoke, presumably. Um, Third question, is there an explanation beyond their logical beings created to do human bidding as to why droids are such horrible liars? Um, First, I do not accept the premise of the question. Uh, (laughs) There are a lot of droids who are good liars. Um, There is even a droid in the Clone Wars, an astromech droid who acts as a spy and does a pretty good job pretending to be loyal to the Republic when he's actually working for the Separatists. Spoilers. Um, 3PO actually tells some fairly convincing lies, I guess. So this is actually unique to K2 and it is specifically addressed in the novelization that I've started listening to. Uh, They explain that part of his reprogramming basically removed his filter when he's speaking. And so the fact that he is a bad liar is directly related to the fact that he always says what he's thinking. So those are pretty much just different byproducts of the same thing.
2: And then I also had one thing I briefly wanted to follow up on. During our last episode, I mentioned that there were similarities between Rogue One and was just saying Halo. Just to clarify, I was mentioning Halo Reach specifically, um, and Halo Reach being the prequel game to the original uh, Halo Combat Evolved.
1: We did have another piece of follow-up concerning the mu- uh, the music in Rogue One. Um, We had just talked about how it was not John Williams and the person had only a week or so to compose four weeks. Um, and how many, four weeks? Oh, more time. Well, that's plenty of time, (laughs) but anyway, (laughs) a short amount of time to compose the score for rogue one. And, uh, we wanted to give Michael Giacchino a shout out. Um, he not only did a good job in rogue one, but, uh, is, has done a lot of music for movies that we love. Um, I uh, noticed that he was the composer for the new star Trek movies. And I feel like the music in those movies is one of the few redeeming qualities of them. Um, So thank
0: you, Michael for that. Yeah. And just scrolling through a list of albums, I'm seeing Dr. Strange, Zootopia, Jurassic world lost. This guy's done a ton of stuff and we didn't really give him credit for that last time. Oh, Ratatouille.
1: Oh, yeah. Fun plug for um, Michael Giacchino. If you want to hear more about him, um, the uh, there was a Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me episode where he was a guest on that um, in the last week of December. So you can check that out.
2: And you should check out Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me just for its own merits outside of Michael Giacchino.
0: Yeah, we we can put a link in the show notes. Oh, I should mention... We have show notes Um, in some podcast apps. You can just see them right there in the app. If you can't see them in your app, you can find show notes at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash two. For this episode, we'll have links to everything that we talk about. Um, I had one last piece of feedback from listener Betsy, who was mentioned by name in episode one. She wanted me to mention that she is my wife.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess we should probably all mention that. I I might mention Aaron. Uh, Aaron is my wife.
2: I might play my cards close to my vest. And not, no. Um, <laughs> I might mention Melissa. Melissa being my wife.
0: We're just telling people everything.
2: Should we mention Bill Pepsi Blue the Pony? No. <laughs> okay.
0: It's very private. How dare you? <laughs> you want to talk about board games? yeah let's talk about tabletop games okay oh oh i want to say one other thing um we do want to hear from those of you who are listening to the show and you can reach us at feedback at betterworlds.net and we will we'll definitely read it we might answer questions on the show if we can if they're good questions yeah if they're good questions send us good questions send us good feedback good call (laughs) all
2: right gentlemen We came here to discuss board games and address feedback,
0: and we're all out of feedback. (laughs) Dustin, tell me about a game.
1: All right. Well, (laughs) uh, (laughs) um, we're going to start off talking about uh, what I call party games. Uh, These are games that are light on strategy. Um, They are mostly... I guess if you would consider yourself not to, if you would not consider yourself a board game player, these are the the types of games that you would be playing. Um, so a game that I played with my uh, family over the holidays was called Pass the Pigs. Um, my wife Erin actually received it as a Christmas present. Um, do either of you guys have any experience with this game?
2: I had only heard about it when you mentioned it.
0: Okay. I've seen it and wanted to know more because it has something about pigs. So I will tell you more.
1: Um Past the Pigs is uh it is an odd game. I gave my wife a lot of flack uh because I didn't want to play it. There were a lot of lame pig puns. Um and it's literally the game is literally just two small rubber pigs. Um what you do is you kind of toss them onto the table like dice and however they land (laughs) uh, (laughs) it uh they the way they land is worth a certain amount of points and you can then choose to re-roll the pigs until uh trying to get a higher score or just accept whatever um you have on the table so it's kind of like one that i don't know there's a game show where you I don't know if it's win, lose, or draw or whatever, uh, but you had to kind of gamble. Am I going to be satisfied with what I have? Am I going to try to get more? Um, the catch is that you your turn is over if you get a score of zero or the pigs land in such a way that um, it wipes out all of your score. Uh, the So you roll until you're satisfied, then you pass it to the next person. And they They do the same. Uh, the game is over when someone gets, I can't remember if it's 50 or a hundred points. Um, it was a good game for, as I said before, for people who, uh, maybe you're not super into board games. It's pretty easy. Um, the, the, um, instructions are a little bit inscrutable. So if either of you ever play this or any of the listeners try to like buy it and, uh, are trying to figure out the instructions, Um, just know that a cider or, um, well, you'll figure it out. I'm not going to explain it right (laughs) now. (laughs) I can't remember all the terminology, but
2: that started out as I will help you figure this out, thought about it for a few seconds and then said, "Mm, no, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, piglet. You're on your own.
1: Yeah. So, well, okay, (laughs) here, if when it says acrobatic pigs, it literally means either a razorback slash uh hoofer i don't know i can't remember what they call it um and something like it's a snouter or something like that (laughs) these are all just (laughs) if the pig landed on its feet or its back or on its snout then (laughs) then it's something but yeah
0: this reminds me of trying to find somebody's house in a subdivision where all of the streets are named spring something (laughs) yeah
2: or after flowers
0: Yeah, and there's just no way to keep it straight because it's all the same. Yeah. So how many people can play the game?
1: I think as many as you want, um, because all that is required in the game is these two rubber pigs. Okay. Uh, So I don't know that there's any limit to the number of players. Uh, The game went pretty fast. It was more fun than I was anticipating it being, but it's not something that I am like, man, I just really want to play past the pigs. Uh, (laughs) It'll be a game that Aaron and I play... If we are trying to find something to do in the evening, we might play Pass the Pigs. We don't have a lot of two people games.
0: It sounds more like a sort of casual game for a relatively small number of people.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: It it could be definitely. Maybe it would be a good metric to say: Would this
1: be a game we would all play together?
2: Like just at the end of talking about the game?
1: Yeah. So you mean of our in our party our ourselves here? of of the hosts yes yeah so in this would be a game that we could play when we're waiting for supper to be finished cooking <laughs> or when uh you know we've got a few minutes between other games that we want to play <laughs> okay <laughs> so that there's that but you know it's it's a good it's a good party game um it's it's mostly geared for fun
0: okay uh my first game is also a party game, but more in the sense of like everybody's kind of playing together at the same time. Uh it's called Bring Your Own Book. And it's it's not a board game, it's a it's a deck of cards and then each person picks out a book. So you literally do bring your own book to this game. And the cards contain Wait did you
1: bring actual books?
0: Yes, you use an actual book oh, wow. as uh so There are prompts on these cards and you take turns being a judge and there'll be prompts like a lyric to a techno song or a lyric to a Christmas song. They're not all lyrics to songs. Those are just the ones that came to mind. Um, Terrible ideas for a first date, stuff like that. Um, Or you knew that it was true love when, and what you do is you, after people hear these prompts, they flip through the book they've got and they pick out a phrase or a sentence, just any contiguous words. And you can even bridge from one sentence to the next. It just needs to be words that actually are in order in the book. And that is your submission to the judge.
2: Hmm. That's interesting.
0: Yeah, I like that. Uh, Trevor, I have to ask, what book did you bring? Um, I brought The Return of the King. Nice choice. For that one, I remember one of the prompts was a line from a movie review and I selected, I should have liked to have seen it again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just as an example, um, the books actually do get passed around as the game goes on. So you don't get to keep your book the whole time. Oh. Um, later we got a lyric to a Christmas song. I was holding at that point Canticle for Leibowitz and I flipped to the back of a book and found the Magnificat. Oh, that's that's perfect. Which felt kind of like cheating, but I won that round, so it worked out. In your face, family.
2: I was going to ask who brought Canticle for Leibowitz, because I'm trying to figure out who in your family would do Oh, it. I can't
0: remember. Uh, my dad just brought in a stack of books um, for people to choose easily. I went over to the bookshelf and got Return of the King. Okay. I think somebody else took Canticle for Leibowitz from the stack. Um, There was also a cookbook involved. <laughs> <laughs> that, one, that one gave some pretty good results. Tasty results. Um, so this was, it was fun. It was, it was any game of this nature that involves a judge. There's not a whole lot of like strategy to it because you're kind of at somebody else's mercy. But it was, it was fun for a decent sized group of people.
2: Yeah, I guess you're at, there's the amount of strategy in that you're trying to predict what the judge will like. That's about the extent.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I feel like, uh, judge type games are good for. They hit a wide range of players, like people who, uh, enjoy playing tabletop games and people who are maybe tabletop noobs. So.
2: Yeah. Well, everyone knows how to judge things. So. <laughs> right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Everyone's got opinions.
2: However wrong they may be.
1: <laughs> what about you, Matthew? Yeah.
2: Um, I. The first game I'm going to talk about is one that I would think that a lot of people are at least passingly familiar with. Um Cards Against Humanity. Cards Against Humanity again falls in this party game uh judge style of where everyone has a hand of cards, uh everyone at the table takes a turn being judge going around in a circle and people play the cards that they think best fit the question that the judge has and what they think the judge would pick in that instance. So I've played this game many times before. It's actually uh, one of my favorite games, I would say, Uh, just because it has a wide range of cards. Some of them do trend into quite raunchy territory, and some of them are, in fact, so shocking that this is somewhat of a heresy among Certain subsets of Cards Against Humanity players, but I actually censor my deck and take ones that I cannot countenance out of play entirely. Uh, But I actually played in a... So, like I said, the normal flow of gameplay is that everyone uh, goes around the table and is a judge one at a time. We played in a variant style where everyone was a judge at once each player had four cards that they drew as a hand at the beginning of each turn and then they played all of those cards on any other person's judge card so just to try to get them i don't know it involved a lot of people um being the judge at once because you you would do that and just everyone would go around and do the judging each round so it involved everyone more thoroughly than just one person judging, taking a lot of time to play cards on the card. I don't know. It, it improved the game flow of it, I thought.
0: So everybody's judging the stack simultaneously? Uh,
2: uh, simultaneously makes it sound like chaos, but almost simultaneously. I got every round, everyone's the judge.
0: Well, I mean, you don't read back the results simultaneously, but... Right. You judge the stack and then go around telling the... Yeah. each one.
2: And then instead of... In normal Cards Against Humanity, the points if you're even playing with the points, are awarded by the person who the judge deems the winner gets the black card that the judge was using to get the, gets the prompt card, essentially. In this version, the person got the prompt card and any of the white cards that were played on it, and those all functioned as the points. So there was a little bit of strategy to it, too, because you could see other people playing their white cards on black cards, and if there was if there was a judge who had no cards in front of it, you would want to play a card there because you'd be guaranteed to get that card.
0: Okay, so you're actually choosing which prompt to play against.
2: Yeah, you. so when you had four – like I said, you always had four cards. You could play all of them on one judge's card. You could split it up so that you had one on each card. You could – it was any number of those cards, any way on any prompt but your own. Okay. So I thought it was a – if there are any seasoned Cards Against Humanity players out there, I thought it was a way of improving the flow of the game so that there was less downtime and everyone seemed to like it and feel more
1: involved.
0: Okay. Uh, I feel like I've been seeing more and more games lately that have sort of simultaneous play.
1: It's all because of Twitter.
0: (laughs) Short attention spans. Uh, So
1: the next round that we have... um, I would say, well my my next game is called uh, Chrononauts, and it's not it, it's somewhere in between party game and super strategic game. Um, if you have ever played the game Flux, uh, Chrononauts is uh, from the same company, so that will give you kind of an idea of what chrononauts how it's played and and um, some of the mechanics. For those of you uh listeners who have never played Flux or Matthew. Um <laughs> guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah. So Flux, uh there are a lot of flavors of Flux, um spin-off games like I have Star Flux, there's also Pirate Flux, Batman Flux, Firefly F- Flux, that's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and also dangerous to say. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um So you can kind of Cthulhu flux. You can find lots of fluxes to meet your fancy. I don't know. Um, But what they are, um, they are card based games. Um, Each person has a uh, their delta hand of cards. Um, And with flux, the reason it's called flux is because the way that you win and the rules change based on cards that you play. Um, the base rules are draw a card and play a card. And so each there there are different types of cards, at least in Starflux. There are action uh cards, keepers, creepers, and rules and objectives, or goals, I think is what they're called. So the the rules and the objectives are constantly in flux, hence the name. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Um, I really like that the game. It's fun. Um It's never the same because, you know, the... It's Calvin Ball. I don't know what that is. You've never read Calvin and Hobbes? Oh, yeah, I've played... I've read Calvin and Hobbes, but I've never...
2: Calvin Ball, the only rule is that none of the rules are ever the same.
1: Oh, okay. So, yes, it's Calvin Ball.
2: I've tried playing it in real, like a real-life adaptation of it, and it was fun but really difficult, and then I think we got tired of changing rules and stopped.
0: Yeah. It's like Calvin Ball, but everybody is Hobbes. (laughs) <laughs> good <laughs> so yeah
1: um flux i i would highly recommend that game um any variant i know that uh betsy loaned us pirate flux one time uh and one of my favorite cards was if you talked like a pirate for an entire round you got to draw an extra card on your turn uh so avast and there was a there was a captain's hat. You had to call whoever had the captain's hat captain or sir or whatever.
0: Wait, do I own Pirate Flux?
1: Yeah, you do. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm 90% sure that you own Pirate Flux. It And that's what got me into Flux. Um, So I've I've made a couple house rules for Space Flux to match those Pirate Flux rules that
0: I like. Do you have to speak Klingon for a whole round?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you play the captain... Keeper people have to re- refer to you as Sir or Captain, um, and just some other fun things. So back to Chrononauts, though uh, Chrononauts is also a uh, card-based game. Again, it's from the same company, Looney Labs, um, and the premise of Chrononauts is that basically you are a time traveler and you are altering history uh to for different uh reasons. Uh so the there are different categories of cards again. Um everyone sees these uh timeline cards. I think there's something like uh, 36 timeline cards. Maybe there's 24. It, it's a large number of timeline cards that are actual events in history, ranging from, I think the very first one is Lincoln is assassinated and it ends with the Columbine massacre in 99. So that's, you know, a little over a hundred years, 150, no, not quite that much, but, um, and in the timeline cards, there are linchpin events and ripple points. Um, and we'll talk more about that later. Uh, each player is assigned an identity card and an objective card. Um so in your identity, it tells you a little bit about who you are and what alternate timeline you come from. Um your objectives are just like a mission that you're trying to uh fulfill. And um at, the, at least with my objective, it was collecting different items. Um there's three ways to win. You can, uh, return to your alternate timeline. So it, I think they call it returning home. Um, you have to get the events on the board to match your alternate timeline. Um, in my case, it was that I had, uh, people in my timeline had prevented the assassination of John F. Kennedy, but that resulted in, uh, ultimately, that the Soviet Union was the first uh, country to reach the moon. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't like that part of it. Um, and then my objective was I had to collect three different uh, items for a museum in my future.
2: I would hope that after every item you acquired for the museum, that you just emphatically declared it belongs in a museum. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would have done that had I played long enough to (laughs) to get to that point. Uh, Full disclosure, I did not actually finish this game. Uh, My brother got it as a Christmas present, and uh, we were starting to play at, uh, I think it was like 7 o'clock, and neither of my kids had had naps. They're both under the age of 5. And so we had meltdowns on our hands and had to leave. So I only got to play for about fifteen minutes. Um but yeah. Uh so the other categories of cards are
0: um inverters. Hold on. Well we don't need to give them a full rundown of the rules.
1: That's true. So you have like action cards again. Uh you have cards that allow you to change uh, events in history. Um something that cool that I uh, liked was that uh, with if you ch- when you're changing events you're changing a linchpin event like something that um, affects subsequent events historical events so um, one of the things I liked about the game was seeing what the creators thought were important historical events and then uh, seeing how they felt that if Lincoln wasn't assassinated for instance how that would have changed history um and uh, so that's something that i liked about the game
2: so really it sounds like a, the perfect game for the alt history buff in your life
1: yeah and uh you know it, it kind of fell nicely in my wheelhouse of sci-fi and um kind of
0: geek ideas is it set up such that the changes to history always have the same ripple effects or is it set up dynamically so that different things happen in different games?
1: Yeah. So uh, if you change a linchpin, it always affects the same ripple points. Okay. Uh, Those ripple points then become a paradox. And something I forgot to mention is if you lose, the uh, the only way for everyone to lose is if there are 13 paradoxes on the board. Uh, The way you repair a paradox is if you change the linchpin back to its regular setting rather than its prime, uh, version, uh, or if you, there are patch cards that, that, um, throw in an an alternate historical event. So for instance, if I were to, uh, prevent JFK from being assassinated, then I would need to play a patch card that changed, uh, it from the U S having landed on the moon to the Soviet union. So the patch cards are, are what create new timelines. I liked the premise of the game. It's been a game that I have wanted to play. Um, And it was kind of confusing at first when we were going through the instructions. We weren't working together. (laughs) So everybody was like, oh, give me the instructions. Let me read for a little bit. And that didn't work out so well. But uh, It sounds like something we would all play together. Yes, I agree. I think this would be a game that we would play as a group.
0: To what degree is this a cooperative game? It's not a cooperative game at all. Okay. I thought you said something about working together.
1: Oh, uh, well, everyone loses if there are 13 paradoxes. Okay. Um, So that would be the only area of uh, cooperation that I could see is someone trying – like flipping a linchpin back over. For instance, one of the few plays that I made was to – we were getting – I think we had 10 paradoxes. So I changed uh, something back to – uh, we had made it to where Hitler was assassinated. So I brought him back from the dead, which fixed a lot of paradoxes, but made me feel <laughs> dirty. <laughs> well,
0: this one sounds interesting.
1: Yeah. I would highly recommend it, even
0: though I didn't play it all the way. <laughs> My next game is called cult express. This is one that I gave Betsy for Christmas. Um, rather than being played on a board, it is played on a 3d train that is made out of snapped together pieces of cardboard. Um, and the setting is a wild west train heist. Um, (laughs) so it's very heavy on the theme and each player is a playing as a bandit. You have these little wooden, gunslinger pawns um, and you're moving them around the train basically trying to pick up loot and shoot the other bandits and whoever has the most loot at the end of the game wins so the really weird part about this game to me was that everything you do is dictated by action cards so you you can move, you can fire your gun, you can pick up loot or you can Punch somebody, <laughs> punching <laughs> someone. <laughs> nice. Yeah, punch. So you can move laterally, or you can move from the cabin up to the roof of the train. And there's also a marshal moving around and shooting people. Um, is the marshal an NPC? Um, well, actually, yes, but he is moved by player action cards. Okay.
2: Can the marshal be disabled?
0: Um, maybe in some variants, but not the way we played. So I was about to say the weird part of the game and then I got distracted describing all the cards. What's weird about it to me is that before anybody moves, you put together a community deck of action cards, choosing in advance which action cards you're going to use, and then you pass the deck around the table and use those action cards. And so you might get to a certain point where you were going to fire your gun and find out there's nobody there to shoot. And so you just kind of lose your move. And I never really got used to the gameplay aspect of that. Um, it also made it difficult to teach it to some people because they, when you were trying to explain it at the beginning, they would think I'm moving now. And they would just move their pawn. Like, no, no, just put it in the deck and then you're going to move in like 10 minutes.
1: <laughs> I can see that being confusing.
0: So the gameplay was a little bit weird to me from that point. If you really want to do a game that is a Wild West train heist, then I certainly don't see any better option. But if you want, <laughs> if you want a good strategy game, this would not be my first pick. Um, by the first time I played it, I was pretty tired and getting pretty confused about the way the gameplay was set up because of how tired I was. And so I was just kind of like playing the Firefly soundtrack off in the corner. Um, (laughs) Not super interested in the game itself anymore beyond (laughs) providing more theme music. Flavor. Yeah, flavor.
2: That would probably be the only way to correctly play the game.
0: There are also little cardboard cactuses that you set up all the way around the train. Like you set up these cactuses around the train to... It's like the theme... It almost felt like the theme was more important than the gameplay. Yeah. Mm. What purpose did the cactus cacti serve? Um. None. Oh, okay. Wait, they were actual plants? No, they were cardboard oh. cactuses. okay. <laughs> Interesting. So that was not my favorite, but it did make me think of Firefly. It's always good when something makes you think of Firefly.
2: I mean, anything that makes you think of Firefly is a partial win, right?
0: Oh, you know, that's actually what kind of confused me about it was Um, when I think of train heists, I think of that episode of Firefly. And so I assumed it was going to be a cooperative game. Oh, um, And so I listened all the way through the instructions. We're in a situation that I assumed was going to be cooperative. And we're talking about building a community deck. And then suddenly I find out I'm actually playing against the other people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that kind of put a twist on my expectations. Yeah. I'm sure we'll try it sometime because Betsy loves it. (laughs) And that was one that you guys received. It was one that I gave her. Oh, okay.
2: So I guess I can, uh, I, that was everything. um, He wanted to mention about Cult express. Uh, I can go into the next game that I played, which was super fight. This is now trending back into the cards and uh, party game cards with judging, but it's different in that there's not a singular judge and everyone who's playing votes. Um, So the basic, the basic premise of this is super easy. Just kind of going around in a circle. There are always going to be two players who are drawing cards and assembling a fighter. And the fighter can be anything from a wizard to miley cyrus to uh the hulk it's really just a whole random assortment of people um but you're kind of drawing some cards george
1: bush is george bush in there yeah i played him last time
2: oh well there you go (laughs) um
0: (laughs) makes it sound like you played the game with him i did once
2: anyway so you you're building these fighters drawing cards from a deck and then once you've presented the fighters you basically make an argument for why your fighter should win so you've got the two people presenting those arguments and then after those arguments are concluded the whole group votes and then the winner of the fight is whoever won the voting so sometimes it doesn't even devolve to which fighter is objectively better it can go into who presents a superior argument um so as you could probably guess from listening to that description this is a super casual game you can honestly drop in and out uh fit at any time and i don't don't know it it's a very good uh, on the party game side of things i would add as a footnote that if you have a bunch of people who are really agreeable and don't like arguing it is not a good game Mm, (laughs) um but if you get people who are willing to be super pedantic and detail-oriented about really inconsequential (laughs) stupid things great game i don't
1: know anyone like that
2: (laughs) (laughs) um also if you have anyone who's like that it can be amusing to watch themselves try to restrain offering arguments when other people's fighters are going (laughs) at it because some people and i'm maybe self-incriminating on this will just observe like why aren't you making this argument that's per (laughs) that's a great point you could be doing so obviously i like this game but uh it, it was something that uh, I think the people I played it I actually got this for my uh, in, uh, my brother-in-law and his wife, and they really enjoyed playing with it. And it ended up with the interesting question of who would win in a fight, Thor or the Hulk, which I've never seen comic characters actually mashed up, but it happened.
1: So
0: who won? Uh,
2: <laughs> Uh, it ended up being
1: Thor because
2: I was one of the voters. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> that wasn't the game that I was in, was it?
2: No, this, no, this, is, this happened over, um,
0: okay. recently. Cause I remember having the choice of any comic book character with the ability of having a clone of that same character. Yeah. Oh. So I basically, I had. Sorry, it might have even been two I had like two or three Thors and that was right gotcha pretty easy to argue
2: no and, and in this okay' I'm, I'm gonna throw in some details here because I think people could understand the reasoning the Hulk controlled an army of flying monkeys and he's fighting Thor what <laughs> use are flying monkeys against a lightning storm or there's wind their monkeys are dead in seconds. <laughs> <laughs> And then we're getting into canonically in comics. I was like, well, Thor has beaten the Hulk, and it, even though the Hulk is stronger than Thor. Anyway. So like I said, if you know anyone that wants to focus on tiny, piddling details like that and make an evening of watching them go into mild conniptions over it, great game, guys.
0: If you think that the argument math you just made was wrong and you're dying to tell him why, then this is probably the game for you. Exactly.
1: <laughs> um, one of the things I like about Super Fight... That I haven't gotten in, like apples to apples or Cards Against Humanity, is whenever I play a card in those games, I'm usually playing a card that I think fits really well, and then I listen to the judge. I see them just dismiss it out of hand, and I'm like, "But come on, look at the the card!" Or they are thinking about it out loud in a way that's c- completely different from the motivation I had for playing it. So the nice thing about Super Fight is that it actually allows you to ma- state your case as to why this is a good card to play. Um, so that's a nice aspect of it.
2: There is also, I should mention, when you're building fighters, you're selecting a fighter and a characteristic, but then you select blindly a random characteristic, and that's when the game gets really fun because that can be a very make or break uh characteristic
0: like the elephant
2: uh mammoth but yes (laughs) mammoth tell us about the mammoth (laughs) um so one time i was playing with a group that included my wife melissa who had just wanted to obviously didn't think she had any strong things to play um had to fight i want to say it was like the statue of liberty or something so she just played a woolly mammoth and the characteristic she played with it was that it had sharpened stilettos um so obviously not that great the random card that she drew on the side was that it controlled gravity so all of a sudden it could easily defeat a giant statue it was this uh hairy beast flying through the air with sharpened limbs just careening about and it decimated everyone for a long time
1: (laughs) honestly i don't know how you could beat controls gravity in with anything um that just seems like a a killer combo
2: i want to say someone got controls magnetism and somehow that like there was some argument about the stiletto's possibly having a metal core to it <laughs> it was something really convoluted like that yeah. well, I, this is also the only game where i've had to look up the average weight of a seal because one of the cards was a literal seal team 6 so then it had to deal with <laughs> like the weight i don't know that the weight factored yeah. into
1: the argument so anyway well, was, if light cannot escape a black hole then i don't see how the magnetism would win in that situation. But that's just me again, (laughs) if you like being (laughs) pedantic and, uh, (laughs) uh, the next game that I wanted to share with you guys or talk about is the game pandemic. It wasn't a new game for me, uh, but it was something that we played over, uh, the holiday break with my family. Um, have you guys played pandemic with me before? i believe
2: actually both of our first times playing it may have been with you
0: okay agreed
2: you did not tell us how to win <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't tell you how to win <laughs> I still have won very few games
2: <laughs> um, yes you we thought okay that would I'll let you do the details we can go back yeah. to that
1: later okay so this is a unique game for me uh, because it is a cooperative game all the players are playing against the game itself um, I have not encountered many games of this nature. Uh, It is also highly strategic. Um, As Matthew alluded, it is very difficult to win. Maybe it was Trevor. I have played this game probably a dozen times, and I've won maybe three. Um, The premise of the game is that you are a researcher uh trying to prevent the spread of four different diseases across the globe um and each person has a role that they have uh that they're that they choose from a, a pile of cards each uh role has a unique ability that slightly changes the base rules of the game um giving them a an edge in a certain area of the gameplay that other players do not have. Uh, so you have to try to find ways to work with each other's strengths. Um, there are some combinations that are just not going to work well together. There are other combinations that if you get them uh you know that the game's going to be a lot easier. For instance, I always like to be the dispatcher. Um, it allows me to move other people on my turn. Um I like strategic thinking and so that allows me to kind of work out my long-term plans a little more easily uh, if I'm able to position players for their upcoming turns. Um <clears throat> as the game progresses, diseases spread. Uh there are lots of ways to lose. Um you can lose if there are 10 outbreaks in the game and that's where a city can't hold any more disease cubes. There are little cubes that you place to indicate the level of, con- um, I don't know, contamination in a city. Uh, and if it outbreaks, then it spreads to any connected city. Um, so if you have more than 10 outbreaks, you lose. If you go through the draw pile without having found all the cures, you lose. If you um, run out of disease cubes, in any uh, particular color, you lose. The only way to win the game is by finding a cure for all four diseases. And the only way to find cures for diseases is to collect cards uh, that have those colors and turn in five of a specific color to a research station. So it's lots of ways to lose, very few ways to win a cooperative very strategic. I love this game. Um, I can't recommend it enough. Same. Yeah. Um, so I, so when we played, I never explained how to win the game.
2: Oh, so yes. And this, (laughs) this, we can't blame, uh, Dustin too much for because he was trying to be a good parent and (laughs) deal with, uh, children at the same time, as well as, playing and introducing people to this game so that's a lot to juggle but we were under the mistaken impression that what we needed to do was not only research a cure for every disease which as dustin said is the only way to win we thought we had to eradicate every disease oh (laughs) which is nearly impossible please if you play this game do not attempt to do this even though eradicating a disease is a wonderful feeling in that game well and it is beneficial <laughs> uh,
1: so if you find the cure for a disease and you eliminate all the cubes from the board anytime that color comes up in the infection pile uh no cube goes on because it's essentially like you've exterminated the disease from the globe
2: that being said if you it's difficult. If you spend all your time doing that, you're going to run out of time for researching the other cures you need. And just to prove the precariousness of this, the last time I played, we were working together from the very first action of the very first turn, and we only won the game with one action left yes. of the last player before it
1: was completely done. <laughs> On the other side of the coin, I have lost this game in... I I don't I think I played one time and it didn't get around to me again before we had lost. Wow. Because there were just <laughs> chain outbreaks. It was ridiculous. Um that's how bad.
0: Did you not space out the epidemic cards?
1: Um I thought they were supposed to be random. Well, I mean you 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 shuffle them in. So How many did you play with?
0: <laughs> oh, I always play with 6.
1: Oh, Six is hard
0: mode. I thought you were supposed to space them out like into like quarters of the deck. Yeah.
1: Six is hard mode. That's how I play. <laughs> 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 but uh, yeah, I think y- you you shuffle that are you a uh, quarter of the deck and place them in. But if there are six epidemic cards, you can't do that exactly and then i just shuffle the those quarters together.
0: Right, but it's not
1: going to be like six epidemics right on the oh, no. for six cards. no. No, it wasn't, but it was i mean the initial setup there were some uh cities that were poised for outbreaks that just happened to be connected to each other. So if one of them got it. outbroke, then it was a chain outbreak with you you automatically get 3 um outbreaks in one. Okay.
2: I guess the consolation there is that you no one was going to win that it, like you yeah, it had nothing to
1: do with you in a way. It was hilarious how catastrophic a failure it was <laughs> it was i yeah. I just kept saying afterward, like laughing to myself and saying, I can't believe how badly we lost that. <laughs>
2: Can I throw in a note on the diseases? Yeah, go ahead. There are in the regular game four different diseases that we are trying to eradicate they're represented by cubes of different colors black yellow red and blue the correct names for these from just playing across this game several times are black plague red death yellow fever and blue monia
1: i have never heard those (laughs) names blue monia well yeah blue monia come on
2: (laughs) if you have a better name for the blue epidemic, I would love
1: to hear it. I just wanted to make sure that I had heard you correctly.
0: I think I forgot to get that shot.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is bluemonia season.
0: Um, Okay, so to those who actually haven't played the game, because we're kind of talking, I feel like almost like we're talking to the people who have played. To those who haven't played, um, the strategy of this game, you're basically trying to balance out the goals of keeping the diseases from spreading too much while also finding cures. So every turn you have to make decisions about whether you're going to take action towards curing or take action towards containing a disease. Yeah. Cause you really can't do both at the same time. Yeah. And, and movement, I would say is the other And movement. Well, movement towards those ends research for research. The movement is particularly difficult because you have to get into the same city with somebody to trade the card of that city. And that's part of why the dispatcher is so good because you can move somebody there on your turn, right? And not have to wait a while for them. And that also makes the game actually easier with fewer people because you don't have as many cards being used up between the people's turns. Because you can, if you have just two people, it's like you move to the city, they move to the city, you trade. If there's four people playing, you move to the city. Another card gets used up. They move to the city. Another card gets used up, and then it's your turn, and you can make the trade. And yeah, you just burn through the cards pretty fast that way.
2: There's what thirty cities on the board, or so.
1: Uh, that is a great question. Um, I don't know that.
0: I- I'm just saying it's not a
2: simple
1: matter of moving between <sighs> oh, five no. cities. It's it's the whole In, world. And some cities have um, like six connecting cities. Others might have one or two. Um, and so it's. Like Risk. Yeah, it it is somewhat difficult to travel. Um, Going back to, I guess, basic gameplay, a turn consists of you have four actions. Those can be moving, treating a city, um, uh, flying to a place, turning in cards to a research station, building a research station. Um, After you use your four actions, then you draw... Two cards from the player deck. Um, in that deck, there are cards called epidemic cards, and they make the game very difficult. Um, it Essentially, what happens when you pull an epidemic card, you draw a card from the bottom of the infection uh, deck, which those are cards that just have the cities on them. At the after you've drawn two cards from the player deck, you turn over the specified number of city cards to be infected with one cube. If you get an epidemic, you draw the card from the bottom of that pile. That city automatically gets three cubes, which you might remember means it's that's the limit of cubes of any color that a city can have. Uh, and then you take all of the cards that have been played and shuffle those and put them back on the top of the infection pile. So that simulates the the aspect of, in, in, in the real world, cities might uh, have ebbs and flows of diseases, but the disease keeps pop, uh, popping up in the same areas. Um, it's very difficult if you have an epidemic, and then maybe a turn or two later have another epidemic, um, because then that means that, you're basically guaranteed an outbreak somewhere in there
2: unless you've had yeah unless you've done a really really effective job of managing the disease which is almost impossible given if especially if it's early on in the game
1: yeah i it, uh, over the holiday break when we played uh we got so close to being able to win um aaron had the cards to turn in she was at the research station but she just needed one more action to be able to actually turn in the cards to get the last cure but she couldn't do it and we had we were left with one card in the draw the player pile which meant that the game was over uh there was just no way for us to win it it's a very difficult to win game but it's very fun it's it's a different change of pace because you're working together with with the other players rather than competing against them
2: right Um, and that's uh, honestly one of the things that initially drew me to the game was the, the cooperative aspect of it and the fact that you either all win or you either all lose that feels more reflective of some real life situations and teamwork together um I just I liked that part of it because uh, it wasn't one person winning to the detriment of everyone else. It's you're all in it together.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of what I expected from Colt Express.
1: I can understand your disappointment when you realize that that was not the case.
0: Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Pandemic is a lot of fun, and there is a slightly easier mode than what Dustin is describing. Right. Yeah. So don't be too intimidated by that, but it does require. Some strategy, for sure.
1: One detriment to the game is that it only allows up to four players. Um, I think there's an expansion that you can purchase, but that's extra money. And um, But it does add in another wrinkle that you can have a bioterrorist, which would be one player that's working against all the other players. I've never played with that role, um, but it's something that I'd like to try sometime.
2: I remember you talking about the bioterrorist the first time we played. Like, you just mentioning it in passing, and it didn't mean as much to me at that point. But now that you've mentioned it again, I thought, oh, I could see how that would definitely make it more difficult.
0: Yeah. Older editions of the game actually said two to five players. Oh, really? And I, I don't think they changed anything about the gameplay. I think they just decided it was too difficult with five people. I see. And that would make Just sense. Just because of the way the movement and the trading yeah. cards work.
1: And the way to... I, as we mentioned earlier, I play on hard mode all the time. Uh, there are up to six... Uh, well, I guess there are six epidemic cards in the game. Uh, you don't have to play with all six epidemic cards in the draw pile. You can play with as few as... I, Four? Yeah, as few as four. I wasn't sure if it was three or four, but... Limiting the epidemics makes the game easier, but I
0: like to play hard. Okay. My last game is also a pretty heavy strategy game. So would you like to do your last game next, Matthew?
2: Oh, sure. Because my last game I was going to mention still falls into the uh, judging party, easily accessible mode. So not all that strategic, but it is a game that um, actually, this was a completely new game for me going into uh getting at the holiday season and playing it called fun employed so it plays a lot like the basic cards against humanity in that there's a judge each round that circles around the table and everyone else is submitting cards to the judge but what there's structure to it in that the judge is supposed to be a potential employer who's interviewing for a job That you draw out of a deck so it could be a job like a firefighter or um, when I was the judge I had to judge who was the best intern um, which was a little odd but basically there's everyone else then goes through a phase where they're uh, they draw cards there's some cards they can switch out with in the middle of the table but they try to build essentially a resume and then it goes around the table and each person explains why they would be the best choice for uh that role um and there's a little bit of a wrinkle in that the boss also or not the boss but the interviewer also draws cards that are qualifications that are normally the resume cards and uses those as um surprise interview questions that was when i played it the first time where people seemed to have the most fun because no one was um able to anticipate those and you had to get creative with answering, like, well, okay, I saw on your resume that you uh, have been in the hospital for three... I don't know, it, was stuff, it that wasn't actually a card, but it was just something that was fun to see people to try to adapt to. So, uh, I, that's the normal way of playing it. I did play it once after that, where there's a recommended variant In the game rules that said rather than having people consciously look at their cards and try to build um, a resume from that, everyone just blind draws for qualification cards um, and they have to present them on the fly and make up arguments for it. So it's almost (laughs) like they're blind defending a resume. And that is uh, that was a lot more fun. I think everyone said they enjoyed that more than the careful calculated building resume part because it was it was everyone
1: said it was like nerve wracking (laughs) so i can't imagine building a resume to be nerve wracking
2: (laughs) but also it was just kind of it made everything crazy and you could instead of being really polished you could end up with like well i am one of the cards is literally the worst like that's your (laughs) qualification literally the worst when you're trying to present yourself well and you have to defend what literally the worst means it's It gets amusing. So um yeah, it was a very fun party game. Um I enjoyed it moderately. A couple people I played it with actually said they preferred it over Cards Against Humanity, they preferred it over Superfight, they preferred it over anything else that was in that genre of um light party games playing with a judge. So take that for what it's worth. But the those are people also who had never heard of the game.
0: It sounds to me like Super Fight, except with everything good about the game replaced by real-life tedium.
2: <laughs> I'm doing a really poor job of describing the cards. They are not that boring. Okay. <laughs> um, there are some really weird cards, uh, but yes, I mean, there's... Uh, yeah, I can't do this without actually going and getting the game and looking at the cards, but they're they're not all boring.
0: It sounds like an interesting game. So I would not feel like I was actually applying to jobs.
2: It, no. Okay. <laughs> and some of the jobs were ridiculous too, like um again, I'm really terrible at like remembering actual cards. I might just go grab the game and look at
0: Super Laser Technician?
2: <laughs> I wish Super Laser there was only like one uh create your own card for um that i'm anyway i'm trying to think back oh one of them like game show host was one uh i don't know i maybe this is something to follow up in another episode where i can find some interesting cards from this game (laughs) (laughs) i think you guys would like it if we played it i'll put it that way yeah i
1: i would like to try it is that all yep that's all i got
0: okay are you not entertained (laughs) (laughs) my last game is seven wonders and this is the game that i had been looking forward to the most because i knew that i was giving it to my dad and we would get to play it and then he gave it to us as well (laughs) that's funny yeah this is a game that is a few years old it's won some significant awards but i had never played it until this past uh christmas break Um, so seven wonders is, I guess, more of a card game. Each player gets a board called their wonder board that has one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, and it has some, each one has some unique properties compared to the others. And the boards are randomly assigned by drawing cards at the beginning of the game. And I've seen several games like this lately that will use cards to randomize the order or randomize which thing you're playing and i i like that the more of that the better because i hate fighting over like where to sit or who gets what color and everything so it's like you draw a card you get the hanging gardens of Babylon, deal with it (laughs) Uh, build your strategy around that um the wonders themselves Actually, aren't the focus of the game? You're basically building a city around the wonder. Ah, oh. the wonder is just kind of a starting point and possibly one thing for you to build on to.
1: So it's not like Age of Empires, where the wonder wonder is the pinnacle and
0: the end goal. I have not played Age of Empires enough to know that reference. Oh, okay.
2: Most RTSs that are civil, most real time strategy games that are civilization building tend to have that sort of focus that there's going to be a wonder that if it's not the be all end all of what you're building is a heavy focus that's going to severely weight the game in your favor in some way or another.
0: Okay. This was more like if you finish building your wonder, it might be like 15 to 20% of your points that you get. Okay. But you could spend the same turns building other stuff and possibly get even more points. So you can build the wonder or not. The main thing is you kind of near the beginning of the game, you're building up these um, ways of getting resources, and then as it continues on, you're building, you know, libraries and schools and temples and synods and stuff like that um, for victory points. So you are you're accumulating victory points by building these things up. You're building them up with the resources that you put in place earlier in the game the game is split into three ages and um, there's a very specific number of cards depending on how many people are playing. And they did a really good job making it easy to split the decks up. I wish that more games did that because like Settlers of Catan, if you want to play with the base game versus the six player expansion, it's kind of a pain to split the pieces. But for Seven Wonders, they did a really good job of making it easy easy to split the deck. So there's seven cards in each age for each player and you start with one of the decks, you pick out the card you want to play and then everybody plays it at the same time. And then you pass the decks around and use them up that way. So this is one of those games where everybody's playing at the same time. Since it came out a few years ago, I feel like it may have kind of started this trend that I'm seeing now. Um, But it, it makes the game flow pretty well because people aren't sitting for a long time between their turns. So during the first stage, you're passing clockwise. Second age, you pass counterclockwise. And then third age, you pass clockwise again. And you're passing these decks around, choosing which ones you want, and then getting stuck with something at the end that you <laughs> may or may not find useful. Um, trying to build up the city to get victory points. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun.
2: Would you say it's frustrating for people who take a long amount of time to figure out their moves and want to consider. Did you find anyone who just given the flow of the game was frustrated that they couldn't deliberate more on their moves? I guess is my question.
0: It seemed like everybody had moments of that, but it didn't seem to be like the same people all the time. And it didn't get real bad either because nobody was waiting 20, 25 minutes between their turns. Like with some games. Yeah. It was just like, oh, man, it's been like 15 seconds longer. Everybody else is ready to go, and we're still waiting for you. Like, that's not really that big a deal. Mm. Um, so there was a little bit of that, but it it really wasn't bad since everybody got to go every turn. Is this one that either of you have played before?
1: I have not, but I've seen it at uh, board game parties that I've been to, and I, it's one that has interest me. interested me. I've just never actually played it.
2: I've seen it in stores. Never at, I didn't know there were board
1: game parties.
0: Oh, you, yeah, there are. Was there anything specific you were wondering about?
1: I just didn't know anything about how it was played or what the objective was. Um, I knew that it was a well-regarded game. It had been recommended to me by, uh, my board game guy, Ryan Kleinick. Um, but I hadn't actually played it. How does the...
2: So you mentioned that every the wonder isn't the be-all, end-all focus, but how are civilizations being built differentiated based on the wonder that they're focused on? Because in my mind, I was like, okay, I could see there being characteristics around the Hanging Garden of Babylon or the Pyramids of Giza or the Lighthouse, but when you get to all the temples that are kind of samey. I don't know how they would differentiate those.
0: Right. Let me start by explaining how the points are earned to begin with victory points. You can earn a few different ways. There are civilian structures that give you just a straight number of points. There are some science buildings that combine in different ways to add up or one way you do it, you get like seven points for a set. You can do it another way that gives you like the square of however many of a certain symbol you have. So like you get four of the same kind, you get 16 points. Um, So there are a few different ways to earn points with the science cards. Um, There are guilds that show up just in the third age that give you points based usually on which cards your neighbors have. So like if your neighbor has a lot of, the yellow commercial cards, you might choose uh, whatever the guild is that relates to that. If you have built up your military a lot so that your neighbors have lost a lot of the conflict phases, then you can choose the strategist guild and you get a point for all of their defeat tokens that they have. Hmm. Um, You can earn points through the military by um, having more shield icons in your cards than your neighbors have. And then you get like different values of tokens at the end of the ages. Um, So the way that the wonders differentiate is uh, there's a big picture of the wonder. (laughs) That's important. (laughs) Um, Up in the top left corner, there's like a starting resource that you get. It's like brick or wood or whatever. And then along the bottom, usually now we only played with the A side of the wonders, Because that was recommended for starting out and we were all new to it. There's also a B side that I think gets a little more involved. So, on the A side, what you have is the first one is usually just three victory points, and the third phase is usually just seven victory points. And then the second phase has different specific attributes for each wonder. So, for the pyramids, the middle one is just worth five victory points. For the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, you get basically a wild card for the science cards so you can choose which of the three symbols you want it to be so you just like do the math and figure out which one's going to be worth more at the end of the game the colossus gives you two shields to beef up your military a little bit so it's stuff like that the what is it the what's the one that's like a tomb
2: the mausoleum of Halicarnassus.
0: yeah the mausoleum yeah the mausoleum lets you pull a card out of the discard pile. Makes sense. Um there's one that lets you build one card each age for free. I don't know which one it was, but it's those are the things that differentiate the wonders. Sounds like a good game. Oh, and you can also so early on you have to basically decide how much time to spend building up your resources versus actually playing stuff to earn points. But then later you'll be able to build better stuff if you have better resources and some of the civilian structures or science structures will also allow you to build specific structures later for free. Like if you build the laboratory, then later you get a dispensary for free or something. Sounds like a good one to
1: try next time we're together. If we have a lot of time,
0: it's a lot of fun. It takes a little bit of time to learn it, but once you know how to play, it actually goes pretty quick. We did a three-person game. The first game that we all knew how to play already took 30 minutes from the very beginning to the end of the scoring.
2: Oh,
1: that's not bad.
0: So the fact that everybody's going at once makes it move pretty fast once you know what you're doing.
1: And it keeps everyone involved, engaged.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. I don't feel like I have a great handle on the strategy yet, but I think, um, some of that's going to come from learning what the structures are a little better. Yeah. Like, especially the science structures, knowing what's available. Um, we also, there was one thing we were doing wrong, which is we were building duplicates of some of the structures and we realized after our last game that you actually can't build more than one of the same thing. And I think that'll actually make the game even better than it was when we were playing it because, somebody would get lucky and get two of the same thing they could build for free and just build them both. And so I think it kind of increased the gaps in the scores a little more than it should have.
2: Hmm. It sounds somewhat similar to an older, uh, RTS I liked playing called rise of nations, which is just a computer version of the same thing. Like you're building civilizations up and essentially gathering resources to win. In fact, one of the game modes of that is just, if Whoever gets to certain resource gathering caps first is the winner.
0: Oh, yeah. That reminds me of one thing that was kind of unique for this game in terms of how the resources worked. At least I hadn't seen it before. Um, this is not a game where you collect resources and stockpile them for use. You're actually building up production capacity. So, like, once you build um, whichever thing it is that gives you two brick you have two brick to use every single turn and you don't use them up. You don't save them for later. Your neighbors can actually buy them from you as well. And you have to sell them, but it doesn't reduce your own capacity at all. It's sort of like the production just rises to meet the demand. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That is an interesting twist. Yeah. And there was also one other game that I played recently that I think was actually inspired by seven wonders rather than the other way around. It was called between two cities and it followed a very similar format in that everybody was moving at the same time. But instead of using cards to build up your own civilization, you're using tiles to build a four by four city with the person on your right and the person on your left. And then at the end of the game, you score both of the cities and your score is whichever one was lower that game's called Between Two Cities, and if the format of having a fairly short game where everybody's moving at the same time but still doing some strategy, if that sounds appealing but Seven Wonders sounds like too much of a commitment, then Between Two Cities might be a good one to check out. Are the two cities Paris and London? Between Two Cities? Yeah. In that game? Yeah. In that game, the cities are denoted by small wooden icons. There's Paris... uh. And some other ones, <laughs> I can't remember what they are, but there's basically like little landmarks from around the world that you use to mark the cities. did you at the conclusion of the game, come
1: up with a tale of your two cities? No, okay.
2: was the playing the game a far, far better <laughs> thing
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm not gonna butcher that quote right now since it's like actually heartfelt
1: and emotional yeah, and- i <laughs> I literally cried when I read that part of the book. I remember that. You remember me crying? I remember you <laughs> tweeting about you
0: crying. Oh, yeah. I was just a mess.
2: I heard your cries across time and space itself, Dustin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now I feel bad that I haven't read this book. What? Oh, it's one of my favorites. Now Matthew's judging me.
2: No, I'm just surprised because it's like totally in your wheelhouse. Like, I, I maybe was just bad for assuming you had read
0: it. There are spaceships?
2: um in your cultural consumption wheelhouse don't say there are spaceships again
0: (laughs) Uh, okay
2: also the (laughs) for reasons that can't be explained since you haven't read it but dustin will appreciate the first time i encountered that book like several years before i read it was the wishbone version of it um and wishbone played i am forgetting the names of people the guy at the end saying that quote Mm -hmm. that we were just mentioning um and it's hilarious for the reasons that you would do you know what wishbone is right tustin yes i do i watched it when i was a kid it's hilarious for the reasons that you would think given the story (laughs)
0: Should we wrap it up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. No more questions about board games? I'm all out.
2: Fresh out, Governor.
0: Okay. Well, this has been Better Worlds, and we are glad you're listening. Play more board games.
2: Play all the board games.
0: Play all the board games.
1: Tabletop games.
0: Tabletop games. Same thing. Hmm. You're gonna start a fight. I
1: know. I a super fight. I was just alluding to a previous conversation.
0: You can email Dustin at feedback at betterworlds.net if you want him to know how wrong he is about those being the same thing. In my um Yeah.
1: I'm not gonna <laughs> defend myself right now.
0: You can find the show at betterworlds.net. The notes for this particular episode will be at betterworlds.net slash podcast slash two. We're also on Twitter. And Facebook and Instagram at Better Worlds Net. Anything you'd like to add? Nope. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. Goodbye.
2: Bye.